0: Um, so before we get into the meat yes. of this here podcast, yes, the meat, uh, I think our viewers would like to have the opportunity yes. to with me, with you, uh, in proxy, oh, uh, yes. yeah, be able Collette to the celebrate the birth of someone that we really adore. Oh, Colette. Uh tomorrow, which will be uh, probably, in the past for you who are listening. Yeah, probably yesterday when this goes up uh, is our beautiful, wonderful, amazing, kind beloved Jeffrey's oh, birthday.
1: You're too consistently kind. Over and over, you're Aww. wonderful.
0: Well, we love you and you deserve celebrating. Thank and you. And in honor of that, we've got... Oh, Everybody at home oh. is going to sing along with me. I apologize for my voice that you're going to have to hear oh. on its own. To sing Jeff Happy Birthday, I have a little uh, dark have... chocolate mousse here with yeah, a candle you guys don't sticking see out it, of it. But it. there's a
1: zebra candle coming out but, of a cup of mousse here.
0: Lighting it right now. And Mr. Jeffrey's going to blow it out as soon as I finish singing off key to you. Oh. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Jack. <laughs> Happy birthday to
1: you. You guys aren't going to see me give Colette a big hug. Oh. podcast episode 154.
0: 154 154
1: a whole month after the live show Ooh. Uh, we own and run a comic shop in bellingham washington and every week we pile into a various room a pap cavern of the day <laughs> and uh record a podcast uh discussing uh, the week's books uh the the tangents i we're trying to b- shorten up the intro oh, okay, okay. but it really ruins my flow for that whole like inv- yeah i was about to say what tangents. about
0: when we drive out to ups gather yeah, up a yeah. bunch of books pile them in sort them put them in boxes leave to our hidey holes read those yeah. books come back it's fun. sell them discuss them and uh here we are
1: and uh <laughs> and so, yeah sometimes anyway 154, <laughs> 154
0: i don't think that you've been in this pop cavern yet i have not I'm not. This is nice. I'm it's liking nice. this. It's uh, yeah. It's good. Good energy. It
1: could use just a slightly better lighting.
0: Yeah, you know. a little bit le- better lighting. Uh, maybe a little less breast milk spilled on the carpet. Yes, but, um... the
1: breast milk's beginning to turn. <laughs> <laughs> we are. Sorry. Oh yeah. Uh, I'm Jeff.
0: Oh, I'm Colette.
1: <laughs> and the breast milk has turned. <laughs> <laughs> yes i turn 30 years old tomorrow and i still don't know what i'm doing with my life but i'm eating chocolate mousse with an amazing lady and recording a podcast about comic books so that's pretty damn good
0: that's the secret about 30 everybody thinks you're an adult uh, and doesn't realize you're still not <laughs>
1: i'm still just a little baby boy yeah mm. listen this is delicious and as i take bites of this i'm gonna also tell everybody that we're gonna be reading a slew of books this week and that means some of them are going to get spoiled, so here's a list of them, and look at the timestamps if you want to jump away from uh, having these things ruined for you, but this week we're going to be talking about Fantastic Four, Grand Design, number one, Excalibur, number one, A Basket Full of Heads, number one, Safe Sex, number two, Silver Surfer Black, number five, Tales from the Dark Multiverse, The Death of Superman, number one, Deceased, number six, and Batman Annual, number four, a good slew of things. Mm-hmm. Mm. This good chocolate mousse. This is really good chocolate mousse. I don't know exactly what mousse is. Well, all right, let's get into this. Fantastic mm. Four Grand Design number 1. Yeah. Just all of it done by Tom Shioli, who um, oftentimes works in the same uh, studio as Ed Piscor, who did X-Men Grand Design. He is kind of a similarly out-there auteur, who does... Um, gosh how would you describe the sort of ed piscor tom shuley aesthetic
0: i uh, it it feels very much well piscor always feels a little earlier to me there's a little bit more of like a late 70s early 80s okay. it's always skewly really very skews very like mid 80s to me the like the super cheap like bubblegum wrapper comics yeah. the the weird little folded up comics that would come in toys sometimes it's very no fl- for sure like yeah. our
1: bazooka gum wrapper mm-hmm. like tiny yeah. little comic books
0: everything's made to look super beat up and like it was xeroxed in someone's basement right. So put it out and
1: I, there's something about me that that really works for me i just
0: fucking love it yeah
1: like that it feels like you're being given something that was just sent to you from the past or something Mm -hmm. and uh uh, ed Piscor and tom shooley and jim Rugg all do a youtube channel and podcast together called cartoonist kayfabe that i'm a particularly huge fan of so i've been really excited about this book coming out i really liked x-men grand design i really like tom shooley's art Mm -hmm. he's done Transformers versus G.I. Joe. He did those superpowers, backups.
0: Did that, um uh, not Transformers, but... Oh, GoBots. GoBots, yeah. yes. Yeah.
1: And all of his stuff, I always love looking at it, but to this point, I hadn't had one where I have really enjoyed reading his stuff. So this, to me, was the, the big exciting... Uh, kind of finally getting a Tom Shuley book that felt real resonating to me. And in full disclosure, I have not finished this yet because it is a dense, dense comic book.
0: You better set aside most of a day yeah. if you want to sit down and really study the panels oh, and God. read bits by bits. Yeah, I uh, I finished it last night. I can't really... I, I finished it in theory, but I was getting so tired that... Uh, I kept nodding off during the last four pages and kept waking up and like, no, I'm like a page and a half away. <laughs> but you forget that it's going to take you
1: Probably 30 five minutes. times yeah. as long. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, it's interesting to mention. So this whole book was done on the Watchmen is notorious for having been done on a nine panel grid. This book is a 25 panel grid per page, which is insane.
0: It's it's a lot. You can't just sit back with this in your lap and uh, and read it. Easily. You got to get up close with this yeah. thing. And it's worth it cuz the pa- each little panel like the whole cover from Fantastic 4 number 1 is in one teeny tiny little mm. panel and it's all there and it's completely what you would think of it as being. It This thing was really cool. I uh I don't actually know much about the Fantastic 4. It's a part of the Marvel universe I've never really delved into, so it was actually like, oh, okay, this is learning meant so, for me. Yeah, I the get X Men stuff
1: was mostly stuff that you were familiar with.
0: Yeah, I haven't actually read Grandis X Men Grand design it yet. It I haven't yeah. had time, um, and I knew a lot of the stuff, so I wasn't itching to. But um, I mean, you know that everybody was first introduced in Fantastic Four, but they really go through and give you the history of basically everyone because of their connection it starts out at pretty much the dawn of time and the watcher going back and you've got there's devil dino and the Celestial.
1: inhumans yeah silver yeah, surfer yeah.
0: inhumans black panther namor I, everybody it's a yeah a real comp
1: like that's I guess one thing that I've always loved about the Fantastic Four is is if I were to be someone who collected really valuable old comics, I would want the Fantastic Four because to me it really is the birth of modern comics. Mm-hmm. You know, it was the first Stanley Jack Kirby superhero book. It was the one that he was gonna Stanley was just gonna do and if it didn't work, he was kinda out of comics and
0: And I love the little bits with Kirby and and Lee in, in the comic. Okay. Yeah. yeah I must have awesome. not
1: gotten to it yet. Like I you know, I'm notorious for uh, not being able to finish the really thick books before we record the podcast. So, uh, Will Elmer, I'm sorry. I still haven't read uh, Spider-Man Full Circle as much as I'm super excited I, about
0: I'm it. about halfway through that. Too. Is it good? <laughs> I, what I read is okay. really good, I really yeah. like the
1: Hickman's start frame uh, All right, Will Elmer. Yeah. Th- Colette says the parts that she's read has been good.
0: Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, um, Andrew Carlson, I have not read ether this week like i promised you i would came in and showed the showed uh, me today <laughs> podcast because I, yeah. I read all this instead of reading like 10 other books that well, i could have read
1: <laughs> so on the tuesday night when we got all these in and i had gotten through my stack i started reading this one before going to bed and uh, i had been reading it for probably close to 20 minutes and i i was like man i finished the page i was on and i looked back at how far into the issue i was and i was just finishing page four
0: i did the exact same thing <laughs> like, i got oh, to read richard's being born and i was like oh i've made it pretty far what that's like six pages there's a lot <laughs> of com- and and i mean that in a
1: very good way like yeah. this is i think if you think about comics in any amount of sort of like page per dollar is a thing i always think about mm-hmm. or just like the amount of time that you're gonna be spending with it this is 5.99 for a book that you know probably takes 8 times as long to get through as a different comic and then also has annotations in the back. Yeah,
0: which it doesn't feel like you've been reading for forever. That's no. the biggest thing to me is that I kept not realizing how long I'd spent on mm-hmm. this because it was just engaging and good and and turns out that the Fantastic 4 aren't the um Perfect little nuclear family type group that I always thought they were. I didn't realize that they had all these like daddy issues. Yeah, how do you feel about Fantastic Four now? Makes me more interested to read them. I just, I have no issue with characters like Superman or any of the more just, or Captain America, the more just basic altruistic good people. I just don't, their stories aren't as compelling to Mm. me. And so I don't. With only a certain amount of hours in the day, pick those books, and so Fantastic Four had always kind of seemed like that to me. But this made them seem way more interesting. I'm gonna have to.
1: I don't know if you've heard about that guy Jonathan Hickman, J. Hickey Do Hickey.
0: Is he one of those new writers? One of those X Men with some cool stuff. X
1: Men boys. <laughs> so, 25 pa- panels per page. I'm pretty excited for this to be collected. And what I imagine will be, like, the X-Men Grand Design ones where they blow it up. Oh,
0: I hope it's a bigger scale. Yeah, be because
1: great. I think it's amazing to get 25 panels on a page, but I also would like, you know, to see these images blown up a bit more. Mm-hmm. You are getting really close as you're reading it. But not really a complaint. Like, I I just think that I feel really lucky to live in a time where we're getting these really, like, art house books from mm-hmm.
0: Marvel. Yeah.
1: I would say that having still not finished it, I'm yeah. going to give it a... Uh, like an 8 to an 8.5, probably an 8.5.
0: Um, yeah, I think I would give it an 8 myself. I I love the art. I thought it was a really great way of learning a lot of this stuff. I did feel like there were times where I'd expect it to be jumpy and not have to have a constant fluid continuity, but there sometimes the jumps weren't as clear as mm-hmm. they needed to be. It, for something that's taking as long as this is to read to have a moment where I have to wait to go back to panels and reread because I didn't quite grasp yeah. that this was a jump to a new situation in the story.
1: Um, so the contentious moment, not super cool. contentious at all, but let's talk for a second about Excalibur number one by Teeny Howard and Marcus Toe. Oh, yeah. This is the first issue of the third series to come out of these Dawn of X books. Um, X-Force and New Mutants are next week. And yeah, this yeah. has got um, apocalypse in it, and Betsy Braddock, and Jubilee, and Gambit, and Rogue, and it sort of is more focused on the magical elements of the X Men.
0: Yeah. Um, oh, so I I really liked this one, but I think I also had probably way lower expectations for this one than I have for definitely for the two coming before it, mm-hmm. and. Um, just in general, like I've liked, I can't remember exactly what Bettini hours I've read, but I remember thinking, "Oh, okay." She's doing Strike Force right now. Yeah, as yeah, well. yeah. It's it's stuff that I'm like, oh, I'm surprised that I like this as much as I do because it doesn't feel like I should. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I. So I feel like that kind of. Sorry, I'm trying to gather my thoughts around this because I. Every time I think about this book, I'm like, I I don't know if I should have liked it, but I did. And I think there's a lot of moments in it, and there's a lot of qualities to it that outweighed the things that weren't as interesting to me. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Like, it definitely felt—it's a lot lighter of a feel than any of the other books, but with heavy subject matter. Uh, (laughs) So— I'm going to have you edit some of my ramblings Absolutely, out. Absolutely. But that's uh, what this podcast yeah. is.
1: It's just uh, I have this disability where I don't ever think before I talk. So yeah. <laughs> I get halfway Ditto. through sentences a lot. And people are like, are you <laughs> really still going?
0: Um, so I think the main thing that a lot I've noticed a lot of people when they're talking about this book didn't get mm-hmm. that leads a lot into this is that. Betsy Braddock and Psylocke have separated. So Betsy is the twin sister to Brian Braddock, who's Captain Britain. Mm -hmm. And years and years ago, she ended up inhabiting the body of a Japanese assassin. She's a good English girl, Mm -hmm. very white, um, and has done some really terrible things in the long time that she's been in that body. Pretty broken character. And recently they got re-separated. So I know a lot of people have felt really confused about a lot of the stuff that she's talking about and why she's being kind of broody. Mm -hmm. I actually thought she could have been more, definitely written more broody, but...
1: So I had someone explain that to me before this came out. I was also expecting a little bit more, like, broody, like, you know exhibiting some more of the damage that yeah. I think that you would have happened. to She's you.
0: usually been written. At, yeah. Like her in our favorite Uncanny X-Force, she is broken yeah. and and hard. And I felt like this was, to me, a more comfortable way of starting her on a upward trajectory to move past some of that brokenness mm-hmm. that we've known her for for so long and give her the opportunity to step into a new characterization Without just writing her as being... I was kind of expecting just like, oh, Betsy's fine now. We've already moved on. Yeah. 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 Um, and uh, so... I have a question. Yes, please. Morgan Le Fay is a
1: character that I know that you like. Do you like her outside of Marvel? In yes. terms of... Okay.
0: Yeah, I've never actually really been a big... I haven't read a lot of her in Marvel, but I've never really been a fan of just the evil sorceress kind of one-note Morgan Le Fay.
1: And talking to Justin about it this morning, both of us were a little hesitant about just sort of Camelot era Arthurian legend and magic in comic books. I don't super Mm -hmm. love it. I think it's so interesting as its own separate world. And I knew that you liked that character and... Because I think from Once in Future. Yeah. yeah. Um, And so I assumed that she had been around the X-Men in the past. And that was sort of your introduction to that character. And then Justin and I looked it up today. And I was like, oh, no, she's really not been in a ton of... Marvel Comics
0: yeah she's been here and there like she popped up in that um, really awesome all-new and uncanny X-Men crossover annuals right um, at one point and there was like that recent Wolverine one shot where he was battling her which I didn't read but I meant to mm-hmm. um, and the bits of time that I've read else or otherworld has been more dealing with the like interdimensional side of it and mm-hmm. not actually the Arthurian side of yeah. it. That wasn't as much what I liked about this comic. Mm-hmm. I really liked the um, the characterization. I felt was actually pretty spot on for most of the characters, mm-hmm. which I so often, whenever I read an X book, I'm like, well, this is just a power set and a couple factoids <laughs> about a character. <laughs> But little things like when Gambit's walking past a window that shows into Apocalypse's lab and he's just like glaring in there and this like, all right, we're all supposed to be getting along in this uh utopia Corcoa, we've utopia. got, but uh you made me a fucking horseman and I'm yeah. never gonna forgive you yeah. for it. And
1: yeah, I and I I liked the Apocalypse portrayal a lot, and I like him sort of referring to himself as this glyph letter. It's yeah. very cool. Um I like the overall kind of plot in broad strokes of what this is doing i don't love the writing mm-hmm. um uh it the writing to me felt at times like very surface level statements that a writer is making from a character to just do really surface level type like all right this person is this type of person mm-hmm. and, and it it lacked a little bit of depth there I thought the art is unfortunately like kind of the weakest of all of the Don yeah. of X books. Like if if the cover art had been the interior art right, it would have been much more impressive to me but it, this is a very very pretty, stock art. Yeah, yeah. pretty yeah. flat stock art. I was like really like like ten pages or so in we get this from the Krakoan grimoires and they're kind of trying to put some magic logic into it and they're using this as above, so below metaphor which is Mm -hmm. really present in magic and occultism and they do a really kind of insulting, basic like, well as above, you know so below and if you take those two things and you put them on top of each other and turn them 90 degrees, it makes an X which is the very powerful symbol and it's sort of that, reading that and having a vested interest in like sort of magical logic that to me reminded me a little bit of like listening to like an eight-year-old play make-believe on the <laughs> playground. I'm sort of like, well, with this new rule, it's up, you know, if it's upside down, it oh, means yeah. it's the strongest shape and that's how I beat you. And it's, there was this, a forced element yeah. to it. Yeah. And, and, sort of a lack of sophistication and yeah. So I had high hopes for this one because it's dealing with a lot of stuff that is interesting to me. It it did feel like the characters were pretty on point, but it it didn't feel like she was writing them with depth Mm -hmm. to me very much. But you knowing much more about sort of a consistent voice for these characters, I am very pleased to hear that it it feels like she's actually got a pretty accurate voice for them.
0: Yeah, I, I don't really know that I can say that that's for sure with Betsy because... We don't really know what Betsy's voice kind of is now with this right. transition and everything. But the side characters, which tend to be the ones that really get screwed up mm-hmm. in this stuff. it I, sh- I feel like I should qualify that, to me, this book compared to the other Don of X books mm-hmm. is completely superficial. And not. It, it does not have any of the deep characterization and gravitas or anything. What I feel like I'm more comparing it to is all the other superhero books like there that out there that tend to be superficial and it's just kind of a story and you've got some right. basics to the character and some lighter writing, some quippier writing. I felt like compared to those books, this had more depth, mm. this had more character to it, had more thought to the plot than I'm used to within that kind of type of story. So it, it really to me depended more on what you were comparing it to, sure. how Because, yeah, if you want this to be, like, House and Powers or, like, even, like, Marauders, you're not going to get what you wanted. But if you need a break in between.
1: Yeah. I'm really interested in this cast of characters, and I do want to read And I'll give the second issue a go. But ultimately, I sort of felt like, okay, like, I'm I'm personally not going to love every one of these Hickman Mm -hmm. books. And that's okay. And I'm glad to kind of get that out there and to just sort of, like, all right, like... Some of them, I'm gonna, and I, I knew that. So yeah. I think what I'm trying to get everyone to do is when we do these podcasts for these first issues, I want to have people rank
0: the oh, Dawn of X yeah. books
1: and where they're at with them. So I would personally give this one like a 6 or a 6.5. It's not a bad comic. It, it just deals with some stuff that I'm not very interested in. And I don't know how I feel about Teeny Howard as a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would do the Hickman X-Men, then Marauders, and then Excalibur uh, is my ranking for them.
0: Um. Yeah. I. I would probably give this a seven. Um. I. You know. It had its great moments. It surprised me. Probably because my expectations were so low. Um. And. Uh, and really, there's one moment towards the end that solidly makes it a better book to me when a a rogue is supposed to go and touch the mysterious gate to try and drain it of its powers and uh, gambit's like oh yeah we don't know what it does Have rogue go (laughs) let's throw my wife at it screw her you know like that was perfect um so yeah i would give this a seven and i think uh I'm torn between Marauders and X-Men because I thought X-Men was really good, but I don't really care much for the Summers family. And there were a lot of moments in there that were references to stuff that I was like, Summers
1: family reunion. Oh,
0: no. (laughs) Like when Scott, I think, I think Marauders takes the top spot for me purely because I really hated when Scott was going on about being a father, and it's like you left your fucking kid, yeah, you abandoned your wife and your child you to go with your, your girlfriend that you thought was dead, like no
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah i'm I'm still so interested in seeing sort of how they all play out and everything, um. So, yeah, next week's X-Force and New Mutants. Mm-hmm. Very excited.
0: Yep, Very yep. excited. Fallen Angel I'm, I'm looking forward yeah. to, to see the other side of Psylocke right. that got separated. I see, yeah,
1: and that, I, I guess, maybe I'm even more interested yeah, in.
0: I, yeah, I,
1: yeah. Um. But I'm glad that you dug it, because I want the Dawn of X stuff to sort of have a, a book for everybody.
0: Yep, and this is definitely the for the... The reader that loves boom books Mm -hmm. and want you know loves more of your Squirrel Girl and your kind of those kind of things, but wants a like a a little more complex story than sometimes Mm -hmm. you get from that kind of stuff. That's a really
1: good comparison. It's like a more complex version of a lot of those that you'll get. A book that. It wasn't super complex unless you think it's uh, (laughs) complex to see how many heads you can stuff into a basket. What? A basket full of heads. (gasps) A basket full of heads? (laughs) By Joe Hill um, with art by Leo Max. I flipped open to see if I was just missing a part of the name and it's just Leo Max and colors by Dave Stewart. This is the first book to come out of the um, Hill House Books imprint that Joe Hill started at DC Comics. And I like the idea of that existing, and I like a spooky book. And Mm -hmm. I started this assuming it was going to just be a kind of exposition-based, kind of mindless horror book. And I found myself pretty charmed by how well Joe Hill can get you to sort of meet characters and learn about them in a sort of effortless but pretty deep way.
0: Yeah, this is a really great play. On an old campy, mm-hmm. uh, small town murder story. Yeah, but so much more compelling, and it—it's it, not the junk food it pretends to be. No, and it's got <laughs>
1: like—it uh, takes place in I think eighty or ninety or eighty three. Eighty three, um, yeah. And I love sort of that era. Like it sort of starts mm-hmm. right there, and it's got like it's the end of summer, and we've got these two teens are driving around, and
0: and it looks like a campy teen horror movie actually filmed then not something set it in the 80s it's not look it's
1: the 80s right right (laughs) yeah and and i immediately was sort of like all right i'm gonna spend the next several pages getting to know these characters and yeah he he allowed to have an interesting charming conversation that also did a lot of sort of deep character work and Mm -hmm. and then you know they go to have a dinner with these folks that are near a prison and one's a police officer and you get to know those characters, and he's very much his. I guess he would probably hate to hear people ever say stuff like this, but you know he's really his his father's son. Like he mm-hmm. he is a great writer, and Stephen King I think is a great writer, and they it doesn't suffer from the a lot of the problems of like novelists going to comics because he's of course done comics, but yeah yeah I I just thought it was really well done, and the art had a like a a vintage horror feel, but it was also it had like bits of like um, the discipline and old guard artist who also did american carnage there's like a little bit of that in it to me Mm -hmm.
0: it it felt to me like this could have been more beat up and i could have pulled it out of an old box of comics that we got the art felt really true to the time without being clunky and old looking and it looks like this would be one of the people that we look back on as being one of the great early, yeah, yeah, Barry Windsor Polk Smith Conner and the yeah. Basketful
1: of Heads guy. Uh huh. Yeah, I, and it did a good job of. You know, there's an intro in the first page that hasn't really paid off yet. Uh, this is a largely this issue is character work and groundwork stuff, and and then and the final two pages some spooky stuff starts to happen, but it it was less, like, supernatural spooky and more yeah. like, oh shit, like, we've met these people and now I'm more connected than I thought I would be and this bad situation has happened.
0: Yeah, it's more one of those, uh, it starts off with this uh, spooky guy with a basket full of talking heads on a bridge <laughs> and then the seems to be current and then jumps back in time to Sunny 83 and uh, and then just jumps into this just escaped criminal we got to be worried about someone coming after us kind of a story and hide in the closet kind of thing um and uh, i'm really excited to see where the uh the more supernatural creepy horror comes into play how how these two stories are connected and because uh, we see this uh this important axe in the house and right they, but it's very disconnected from the main story right now and I'm, but it, I'm loving this
1: yeah it's like leaning into a camp like a campy vibe just like you said and yeah uh, I also am as well it reminds me of like sort of army of darkness type sort of campy horror but also yeah i i didn't realize what the tone of this was going to be until i was reading Mm -hmm. it and i was pretty pleasantly surprised by it
0: yeah i really liked. i have a very difficult relationship with horror and that in theory i like the concepts of the stories Mm -hmm. but i am also a huge scaredy cat (laughs) and um i yeah i i will not sleep for a week because I watched a really terrible movie. What's your favorite
1: spooky movie? What's your favorite horror?
0: See, I just don't really watch... I'll watch monster horror Uh because it's distant enough from reality that it doesn't carry with me after the fact. I'm not gonna be... I'll be having nightmares about the vampire or the monster or whatever for a while, but it, I won't be afraid to go down the clo- dark hallway in my right.
1: house. Um, I'm also a spooky scaredy cat as well, so...
0: Yeah, like um, I saw Scream when I was too young and I still see that fucking mask out the window <laughs> at night, and uh, and I'm a grown adult, yeah and, uh, <laughs> should be okay with that. <laughs> I'm um, okay with that. But I can read some horror uh-huh. better than I can watch it, so this was a great way for me to be able to uh, experience some of those old, campy uh, you know away at camp and uh, there's an axe murderer kind right. of stories that I don't ever get to watch. There is like
1: also some great art shots like this sort of the rich house that they go to and there's mm-hmm. just this great water and bay and clouds and real atmospheric. So yeah, if you are at all interested in maybe getting a spooky thing in your hands, I think Basketful of Heads is a pretty great option for it. Joe Hill has continued to uh, impress me through everything. I wonder how Django. I, I know he liked this, but he loves lock and key. So yeah. I wonder how he feels this ranks.
0: Yeah, I will be very curious to find out, and we should record it and have him pop in right oh, after we say our scores that, to tell us if we're dumb or that something. That
1: disgusting guy. <laughs> I think we've had enough of him for the day. Uh, I don't yeah, mean I it, Jackie, okay. we love you. Um, so <laughs> I would give this... Um, I'm gonna give this one an eight as well. A really higher than I would have expected. Mm-hmm.
0: I I have never read a Joe Hill book before. I'm gonna give it an eight and a half. Yeah. I really I really liked
1: this. Well, that's our um, uh, our shop, Joe Hill House. But, oh yeah, 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 yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> no, I've always wanted. it's lock and keys in the giant stack of things that I want to read someday that I missed out on because I wasn't always able to read comics because I, I was living in a hole. sad, lonely, lone, lone, <laughs> comicless hole.
1: But now you work at a comic shop.
0: Yeah, and here now I know. have no
1: time to read them. <laughs> so last week, um, mm-hmm. Django and I talked about <gasps> Money Shot. And, Money Shot. And you were going to be on the podcast yes. that week. And I was like, it's weird to not have Clutt on here because Clet has somehow been on most of our sexy book weeks and I i'm really not safe trying sex. to be on yeah.
0: for all but, the like smut but books then but i remember happening. that you actually
1: weren't on for safe sex number one no i was not so, you quoted
0: me yeah, but i was not on yeah so i'm really glad to have you
1: on for issue number two here um safe sex number one by tina horn and art by michael dowling colored by chris o'halloran what did you think about this and And maybe give me a feeling on issue number one as well, or just sort of this this whole thing as a whole, because it's a pretty unique book to be coming out.
0: Yeah, it is a really unique book, and I really appreciate that this is coming out. I don't necessarily know if I'm going to keep reading it. I don't know if the story is grabbing me enough, personally, but I really appreciate what this book is doing, if that makes sense. I think I feel really similar. I, uh... It's doing something very unique, which I deeply respect. Um, and it's using sex as a plot device, not a salaciousness. It really mm-hmm. is truly a part of the story and a part of the plot, and not because it's forced to be in trying to make a, uh, a super sexy, like, people are going to want to read this because they feel aroused and uncomfortable right. by it it's, i did my um, cursory
1: flip through this i was like oh there's no nudity in this issue
0: mm-hmm. uh <laughs> this was like the first book that i read so it's the least grounded in my mind so um the the first one
1: leaned a little my feeling on this book is that i really like that I think regardless of where you fall on the the spectrum of opinions about this type of thing, it forces you to re-examine it. Like, it, there's there's sort of two sides in this future society, and mm-hmm. neither one of them feels, like, overtly, like, the clear right side, because yeah. both of them have elements of things that I believe in. And, I mean, obviously you support, you know, the the sex workers that are, like, trying to express themselves, but there's there's an amount of, like, I just appreciate encouraging people to have a more intellectual idea of what they believe.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, guess, I guess this did that to me. Like, what do I support? I, of course, support people doing whatever they want, but I I don't think that you can read this without thinking about your own mm-hmm. beliefs.
0: I think that what I like the most about this book versus some of the other... Dystopian near future, the you know the patriarchy or the conservatives or whoever has taken over control and is forcing their beliefs on everyone, or forcing other people down. That it often feels so heavily, no down with them. We gotta swing the the balance in the opposite way, right? Right. And that this book is very much, to me at least, says you want to just have very rarely have very basic missionary sex or not sex at all or whatever you just want to procreate that's fine that's your thing but for anybody who's different who just everybody should be able to be who they are and live their life as long as they're not hurting anybody right it's not down with one side versus the other it's it's against controlling everybody because you feel things should be a certain way right. and that's what i really appreciate this about this book Along with the fact that the plot hasn't gone exactly how you would usually predict it. I agree. She In this issue, you know, she runs to her old uh, sex workers in their new little hideout. Mm-hmm. Um, forgetting the name of it right now. But, uh, dirty and, mind? Um, yeah, they're dirty mind. And she goes to get their help to get her husband out. And, uh, and they're like, fuck you. Like, right. we're not going to put all of our... Our lives on the line and everything we've worked for because you came to us after abandoning us all this time, and uh, and she finds someone else and an old friend who you, an old client who's willing to help her and stuff and it all kind of works out to get the plot continued on by the end of it, but it's not it's not following a very set obvious and I, plot yeah I, I that that
1: statement of just sort of i like this book but i don't know how long i'll read it like mm-hmm. it it is an interesting story and i really support the creators and i like the way that they're doing i don't know how much it interests me on last week we were talking about money shot i said that you and jango and i like a commonality of the three of us is we all like dirty things yeah. like we, we all sort of like ooh oops and butts <laughs> and penises nice and i and like this. Sorry,
0: family. Yeah,
1: they're not listening. Our family doesn't love us. Uh, although Jared, Hilo, are you listening? Um, but yeah, it's it, it doesn't have quite enough of some of the things that I want out of a sort of dirty fun book. Because it's not
0: a dirty fun book. Yeah, it's, it's not a story that happens to have dirty stuff in it yeah. as a part of the world. And, and I think there is definitely a large reader base out there for this, I and I'm totally really, agree. really happy that it's there for them. Yeah. I'm just not necessarily the person for yeah. it.
1: We'll see. I, we'll see how many issues in I make it, but mm-hmm. I don't I don't know if I'll finish it out. But I do I like the art. I like the writing on it. I like the subject matter and I like that it, you know, makes me kind of consistently think about beliefs and stuff. But it, mm-hmm. it does have a sort of nineteen eighty four it, it, for as much as the story does kind of move around there's also a sort of fundamental kind of sameness to it that yeah. i have experienced but there is a cool uh, several page write up in the back that's got an interview between tina horn and alejandra gutierrez um who does a lot of like she did stuff in that twisted love series mm-hmm. and i'm just a big fan of her work and her cartooning so it was cool to talk to her um and just sort of have some stuff about being a sex worker and then t- becoming a comic artist and yeah, I I like that.
0: Yeah, seven, good book all around. Seven, seven point five somewhere in there. Yeah, it's it's a good book. It doesn't make me go oh yeah, but I I really respect that this is getting made, getting out there, that it exists now and yeah. will forever exist in the world.
1: And yeah, and she the Tina Horn seems to be trying to use this as a platform to shine a light on some generally marginalized people. So I think that's yeah. fantastic. And I love a comic book that's got a playlist in the back.
0: Yeah. Gosh, oh,
1: what would be the playlist for silver surfer black by Donnie Cates and Trad Moore? Like what, <gasps> what piece of music will be playing in this sort of postmodern celestial cosmic sweepstakes?
0: Oh, I can't think of anything good enough for it.
1: Yeah, I can't either. This book was an amazing finish to what has been a very spectacular five-issue miniseries.
0: Yeah, I picked up the first issue just thinking, I've never read any Silver Surfer. I should read this. And people people are going to want to know an opinion. Yeah, yeah, I've read some Donny Cates. He does not usually do it for me. Mm -hmm. I don't dislike him. It just isn't my thing. Um, fuck, I love this book. <laughs> Ugh, the first two issues were fine. It was like the Tradmore art kept me going. Yeah. That was so amazing. But from three, well, I read three, and then I missed four, and uh-huh. I read both four and five today in the car that... on our way to visit friends, and I was sitting in the car crying right about to our friend's house reading the end this of this
1: issue. This issue has some emotional... Emotional gut punches, but really just beautiful. Like it wasn't painful, but it was no. just there's some real, poignant. yeah, beautiful, poignant stuff. And it uh, leans pretty heavy on uh, the Stanley and Mobius parable story. And there's a quote that from that story that kind of becomes the overarching theme of this this series, but pr- primarily this issue. But mm. it, the the run of three, four, and five is so Ugh. amazing. Yeah, yeah, I, I love, love, love that this book is just... We've talked about most of the issues on the podcast at this point, but this double-page spread of, like, almost video game style, like two giant heads on both sides of the page looking at each other, but the...
0: The panels the, along the edges with the star growing or the light growing, and then surfer becoming more and more black right. on the other side, and just
1: and in oh. the middle of that page, which is about near the middle of the book, but uh, you'll you'll get a, a video of it on the YouTube, assuming Django's still doing that. But um, <laughs> the way that the images between the two heads of this travel, like I don't know if it, if that's all Trad Moore or if Donny Cates is having any effect on it, but he c- can lead you through a page in an inorganic way that feels totally organic
0: yeah for how all over the place these panels are how flowing and and conceptual you're never lost as to where you're supposed to be looking and reading which is so rarely you can say yeah i
1: like you know jh williams the third does really insane big paneling stuff kind of like this but even he can be a little bit uh, hard to follow whereas mm-hmm. I don't know if it's the letterer or if Tradmore himself is determining where these text boxes are, are going but it's just a really impressive uh, mastery of the art form sort of how to lead people's eyes But
0: and I love how often you've got like there's this panel where they're fighting and it's one panel but there's multiples of each character as they're having this battle and there's what one two there's seven word bubbles along the top all in this one little panel, and then you can turn the page, and there's just <laughs> one big, beautiful two-page spread of each character once and one tiny little word bubble. Yeah. And and neither one seems wrong for the course of the story. Right. It doesn't... One doesn't feel clunky, one doesn't feel empty. To be able to mix those two together is really impressive.
1: Yeah, it's... It's an absolutely stunning book. The you know to wrap it all up. I mean, like spoilers, but Silver Surfer ends up because he had gone back to the dawn of time, basically, in the first issue, and he his atoms kind of dissipate and are spread to all the life. He and collects reality. up,
0: has ego help him collect up all of the like. Extra energy, life energy, and light floating around the universe and transports it into him, and he's able to.
1: It's a Goku spirit bomb, basically, from Dragon yeah. Ball Z. But he, like, <laughs> dies, and his atoms are distributed through all of, all of creation, and they're sort of rebuilt over millennia, and then he, like, plants the seeds that he got from ego that. That like it allows him to basically create the planet that he was from. Like this sort of snake eating its tail metaphor is very present in it. Ouroboros, uh, as it were. To
0: have gone from the issue before, where he's trying to decide whether or not he's going to kill Young Galactus, yeah. and and when does becoming dark in uh, in defense of the light? When is it okay? Is that ever okay? That battle with him, him to then. Putting everything he is that's in him to try and defeat Null, realizing he can't, and then just instead of that, he creates a new sun and a new planet, and it's where he's from. Don't tear up. You got it. Pours himself <laughs> into it, and it's just this. I, and then he just disintegrates out into the universe, creating every planet that he planet was the dogs. herald to kill or to bring Galactus to. I was. It was so beautiful. It really,
1: (laughs) if you don't know much about Silver Surfer, you can totally appreciate this book, but it really Mm -hmm. flushes out. Yeah, it flushes out that sort of the complexity and guilt that this character lives with and, and the burden. And I hadn't really thought too much about his, like, the balance of dark and light as a metaphor sort of the destruction that he's wrought on reality but also he did it to save his own planet and sort of him being silver and now being dark and like sort of balancing his actions you know he's done enough light in the world and now he can be dark and like I don't know if that means that he's going to be more of a like a dark moody person or if it's just an aesthetic
0: thing but it's, it's or if just a different energy that yeah, he's going to be yeah. fighting with or yeah I, I love this third, right when he's disintegrates and goes out in the universe, this just little bit of, and then from death, life. Over eons, my atoms fall like seeds across the galaxy, giving life to those planets I watched die. Yeah. And that he's been carrying this just immense guilt all this time for what he's done, trying to protect some light by bringing dark to other places, and he can have this full circle release and freedom and it's beautiful. I think it's, that's no one can wish for more than no, that in their life. And
1: it it really is. I think you know probably the best Silver sur- Surfer story I've ever read, and it does more character work for that character than I think has been done. I mean, the Dan Slot one was kind of a fun Doctor Who knockoff romp thing that had some pretty heartfelt moments, but we've largely undone that already. Like the Dawn character isn't around, and uh, it didn't, I don't think that that run could have existed forever in terms mm-hmm. of that being the character. So this goes back to a more classical one, but it really is pushing, analyzing, and exploring the character and all buoyed by this Tradmore art that is just some of the best stuff in comics.
0: Yeah. I can't say enough how incredibly stellar his work is. How cosmically stellar. Cosmically <laughs> stellar. Tradmore's work, it, it, it's so masterful. Everything is so beautiful. intentional and so beautiful. There aren't squiggles just for the sake of adding a squiggle. Everything feels Means so something. perfect, purposeful, so balanced. It, for everything going on, you don't feel overwhelmed looking at it
1: it's gorgeous and it gorgeous. borrows this quote from the parable by mobius and stan lee that comes up in this one that he said years ago when this comic came out but it's if we turn from battle because there is little hope of victory where then would valor be and i think that that is such a powerful idea mm-hmm. you know and that it's that's some of the best of stan lee like that's like You know, for all of the positive and negatives of Stanley, he had the ability to be incredibly poetic in a medium that largely hadn't been poetic at that point. And that's just a a great instance of what Stanley could do. I I think this carries the torch of him.
0: I've always felt like Stan's creations and Marvel in general, there's always such a strong sense of trying. Yeah. It's not about achieving. It's about reaching, about trying to be better, about trying to uh to help yeah the and grow damage and of marvel. yeah, yeah. And, and i i like i love that um the aspiration yeah that tends to run through a lot of especially the older marvel characters it really yeah, that's, that's speaks really to me
1: true. i'm gonna give this issue a 9.5 i think there's an argument to be made for it being a 10 what do you think Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Have you been at the fish store? Have you been out in the bay going gooey duck hunting? What are you about to give this thing?
0: I have given very few comics in my life a 10. Oh. I've already given one to Silver Surfer Black number three. Oh. I'm giving another one to oh, number five.
1: Oh, God. you pack a bigger gooey duck than just about anybody I've ever seen. <laughs> Okay, well done, Donnie Cates. So, Colette, I'm gonna talk about Deceased for a minute. Oh, finish up it. Your, your amazing moose. Oh, um Moose. This was a <laughs> moose. Moose with no knuckles. <laughs> <Ew>. <laughs> uh, this was not a huge week of comics, but it was a week of comics that uh just high... I was I have I was so excited to read. Almost all of my, I was so excited about Excalibur, so excited about Deceased, um, the Batman Annual, Fantastic Four, so excited about Silver Surfer Black, like really high caliber books that mm-hmm. I was very, not only that, but it was the end to a lot of those stories. So I'm going to go a little bit longer on this one than I meant to, so you have time to finish this moose, but this is issue six of six of Deceased, which had a one shot in the middle of it. Clett, have you read any of this? Oh my God, I, <laughs> y'all just missed it, but klet did. One of the most disgustingly erotic things <laughs> I've ever seen anybody that was do. Not with meant m- to be erotic, n- erotic at all. <laughs> it looked like look gross baby but... poop in your mouth. <laughs> oh. um, have you read any of this? Mm-mm. It is. It has every reason to be a book that you would gloss over. Marvel has uh, this week put Zombies, Marvel Zombies Resurrection number one out, and they did Contagion, which was a five issue miniseries that you know all of it came out in the time that deceased you know had three issues or something. This is an incredibly well done. Zombie basically outbreak story in the DC universe, and this book is largely responsible for turning Django into a very large Tom Taylor fan. His ability to do really poignant, profound character work moments in I like Elseworld stories when shit can get really fucked up. Mm-hmm. You know, I like when you totally remove any convention from what's gonna happen. But so, spoilers um, the fifth issue of this ended with Superman trying to stop the flash who got the disease and he realized the only way he could do it would be to like run into him head on. And in doing so he kind of obliterated the flash, but his finger went through his belly and it, it ended with Superman becoming one of these things. And it's the world trying to take the small remaining people, shove them into arcs and send them off the planet. And Damien, you know, Bruce has died. Damien has taken over as Batman, And there is just some heart-wrenching moments in this series, and it ended so well and so perfectly and so beautifully. Um, Yeah, I don't want to spoil it for folks, but there's just some, some really cool moments. One in particular where John Kent is on an arc in space with Lois, and he realizes in this moment that they need a little bit more time to be bought. So nobody else has superpowers around them and John has to go out into space and take on his horribly mutated father head on in space and it just like I started crying you know because daddy issues mm-hmm. um, but I started tearing up and uh, in Zen Sushi outside of the movie
0: theater <laughs> reading
1: this book which I realized issue number four I also read in my car right before going into the movie theater so I apparently deceased is a movie theater book mm-hmm. but just the movie
0: theater covers yeah so, you know. it does
1: that's true they're all horror references but just an incredibly cinematic book that never went where i expected it to go heart-wrenching really great beautiful family moments character moments and i it was really cool to watch Django really dig this book and i hadn't really ever seen Django speak so highly about about a book aside from like day tripper that like consistently made him tear up you know and uh you know, I'll, obviously, I, I teared up on a lot of these issues. But, um, yeah, I haven't seen Django really become smitten with a modern-day writer. Like, I, you know, he, he got really into Tom Taylor as this was being written. Uh, I hope none of that seems like I'm putting you in a box, Django. You're amazing. <laughs> but uh, I think my one, my one statement about it would be as this book came out, um, the final two or three issues did become a lot, not a lot, but more clearly rushed. The art did and that's fine because they were getting a book out monthly, but he had a lot more time to do it at the beginning, so, uh, you know, faces got a little bit clunkier, and there was not quite as many really beautiful uh, single-page shots like there were in the first couple issues, but just an outstanding, much better than it had any right to be, zombie Elseworld DC story. If you liked Marvel zombies, I think this did it much better. I think it's the best one that I've ever read because it... It, it did that fun, fucked up, what can we do with the universe, but also just created awesome characters. Dinah, Black Canary, becomes a Green Lantern, and she's, like, she turns, she makes a Green Lantern megaphone at one point and then does her scream into it to, like, <laughs> oh, hold people oh, off, which is, awesome. like, yeah, just, like, really cool, <laughs> innovative stuff, so... um that's my four-minute spiel about Deceased. I'm really sad that it's over. It was really great. I'm going to give the series as a whole probably like an 8.5 or a 9, and I'd give that issue a 9. Just knocked my socks off.
0: Nice. I That's one that I didn't pick up because I hate zombie stories. Fucking hate zombies yeah. so much. But from what I hear, that one actually sounds like it's worth dealing with the uh, the zombies that I and hate to get to the good story part. Yeah,
1: it's, you know, it's essentially dead things, but it is it is very much the anti-life equation. So it's very dark side. It has like Final Crisis overtones. So they're not exactly zombies. They're these hor- horribly, un- but it's the same thing. Any sort of contagion
0: type yeah. thing, undead-ish, monstery thing. I just, I don't. Dig it. But you
1: dipped into the dark multiverse. I did blette. take
0: a little trip to the <laughs> the dark multiverse and I read uh, Death of Superman uh, script by Jeff Loveness uh, and uh, pencils by Brad Walker inks by Drew Hennessy and Norm Rapmund oh, Norm Norm and uh, colors by uh, John... Kalis is something or other. Big fan of yeah, yeah, that yeah, work. yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not going to take four minutes to talk about this. <laughs> uh, so this is a uh, what if death death of Superman when he died. Lois was uh, just super pissed off at everybody for it, and uh, you know you kind of can't blame her. Yeah. But uh, she just kind of goes off on everybody like where the where the hell were all of you? you if there had been more than just him he would probably not be yeah. dead right now y'all show up when he's gone and uh, and they show his his funeral and she's like relegated off to the crowd and all the superheroes that weren't mm. there for him are walking behind and she's so pissed off she heads off to the fortress of solitude to bring his cape back and um and then uh ends up meeting up with uh oh, what was he eradicator yeah yeah I've, I've never read Death of Superman me guys <laughs> <Me> <laughs> or really any Superman and other than um when he's in other stuff so the bear ever with me. charming
1: sweetheart of the South Ryan Russell came in and he had read this this ah. morning and he was like I've never read Death of Superman but it kind of made me want to
0: yeah it was so she runs into this guy the Eradicator and uh, he's got the energy of Krypton and there has to be one Kryptonian so he ends up get, Lois says, Give it to me, I'll take it. And she starts going off to do everything that uh um that Clark would have been doing, except for that she's so pissed off and she's like, you know, you wouldn't have died if uh to Clark if you had uh actually followed through and, and finished the deed on all these things, and she goes around mm-hmm. just vengefully killing everybody and taking everybody out and um you know Where does it end? It ends with so she ends up fighting whoever that robot superman was that showed up after kinshaw okay yeah Yeah. Um, you know steel is around and Superboy, and she's kind of like to them but then there's the like you know robot and she's fighting him and uh um and then somehow uh clark ended up being able to be saved and she he shows back up in the black superman costume with his long 90s hair and um and he's like, "What have you become? Oh my God!" And right then, um, he's shot with a a kryptonite uh, cannon that oh. she she like tries to stop it and blows it up, which directs it at Clark, and uh, and he's killed for real, and it's her fault because oh. she and it's and she dies with him, thinking that she has gone too far and have, and being ashamed of her, and hmm. it was. Um, I wish it could have been more than one issue Mm -hmm. because I thought it was a really great concept and hey, I did talk for four minutes about it. Uh, I thought it was a really cool concept, but it felt really rushed and superficial to me Mm -hmm. because they tried to cram a lot into this one issue. Um, So
1: yeah, I read the dark multiverse nightfall one uh, a week or two ago Mm -hmm. and Was just sort of like very ready to just like skim through it and kind of look at the pictures, and there was something strangely compelling enough. I'm not walking away from it saying it was a great issue, but it got me to read all the way through a prestige format oversized issue, and that surprised me. Did this have a similar like?
0: Yeah, yeah. I thought I uh, I gave Jared Excalibur first uh because he usually goes to sleep a little bit before me, (laughs) so I was like, I'll read this and I'll read. You know, I'll just read. Couple things that I don't care as much about while I'm waiting for it, and um, and it's a heftier book than I thought, so it took forever, and I kept reading. This was would have been at the bottom of my stack, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't have read it probably, but um, I'm glad I did. Yeah, it was better than I thought it would be. That's not great I by any means, but
1: um, the first one, the Nightfall one had the framing device of this Tempest Fugenot character who's Mm -hmm. newly created, but it was all sort of him talking about this sort of oncoming crisis. Did it it mention at all that in here?
0: I don't remember, but I am remembering that something about Lois getting the, like, the power or whatnot, she's now, like, some i can't remember like a watcher type character or something now for this dark multiverse i interesting
1: so we'll probably see her again at some point yeah
0: um don't quote me on the specifics but she's some (laughs) sort of celestial power now of some sort but yeah it was the
1: dark avenging angel of the multiverse there you go that's
0: it way to read (laughs) it's cool like there's some cool shit in them yeah i mean i'd give it like a Six and a half or a seven. It was not a good book, to but quote, it's an entertaining book. To
1: quote the name of our podcast, it's perfectly acceptable comic book.
0: Perfectly acceptable comic Django.
1: book. Django. <laughs> um all right. Well, listen, it's cold in this room. We're nearing the end of our stay here. Is there anything before we get into the bat manual <gasps> that that we need to cover? Django know. is the keeper of the voicemails, so we don't have any questions for y'all this week. Um we're still looking for the questions from the live show. <gasps> They're somewhere. There were so many of them, and it breaks my heart that we would lose them. But
0: And I read them all, but I've been drinking too much, so oh. I don't remember any
1: of them. <laughs> <laughs> um... But if you want to leave us a question, we would really appreciate that. You can call in and leave a voicemail or record a voice memo and email it to us. You can leave that voicemail at 1-619-663-7336. You can also uh, send that email with a question or a recorded voice memo to info at com. We've got a new family member at the comic shop coming in here so she'll probably be on the podcast at some point before too long you're just throwing right into the deep water
0: yeah just sort of like hey you're working
1: at a comic shop now be on a podcast yeah do Um, it but uh before we get into Batman Colette thank you so much for being here it's my pleasure celebrating my birthday with me and you're amazing and thanks for being the wonderful person that you are
0: hey Jeffrey since we don't have any questions uh let me think of one um what is your favorite thing you've baked recently
1: Oh, um that's a good question. You know what? This isn't super impressive to anybody, but for the very first time in my life I made the from scratch like a pizza dough and made a pizza. Mm. And I've usually gotten like Boboli pizza crust and like I like to make pizzas on those, but I was just like, "Wait, I could make a pizza crust." And so I let it rise and there's some stuff I would do differently next time, but it turned out really delicious and you know, you can make a pizza crust for like a buck 50, you know, for all of the, you've got your flour and your water and your, your starter. And, um, other than that, it would be like $7, or $8 to buy a crust. So mm-hmm. there was something very like, Oh, I'm, I'm now all of the power to make a pizza is in my <laughs> own hands. So that was, uh, that was a couple weeks ago. And there was something that was very, uh, fulfilling about that. That's
0: wonderful. And filling
1: in my belly, too. Mm, and I put in belly. potatoes on it. Ooh. I did red sauce, and then I sliced potatoes into to flat uh, layers and put it on there and baked the potatoes on it. And it was very good. Nice. Very good.
0: Follow-up question. Yes. Uh, of all the quiet moments in your life, not your college graduation or anything big like that, what's your proudest moment? Wow. Um. I like to start really light and then get real heavy in there. I really, I really <laughs> like that.
1: Um... That's pretty tough. I would say in the last like two years, the live podcast made me really, really proud, um, and then a lot of just like smaller dumb stuff that happens here at the store makes me really, really proud. But that live podcast was just like me with my best friends talking on a stage about stuff that we love for people that care about us, and and really, I um, scared myself, and and we were all scared to do it, and we did it. And we did it as a group and we wouldn't have been able to do it alone. And that's like that's a very proud moment for me. What about you?
0: Oh shit, I don't know. Oh, <laughs> oh. shit.
1: I just got this perfect child that I birthed and created and uh Well the, that's one of those
0: big obvious, of I had a good I'm lunch. So yeah. incredibly <laughs> proud of that. Uh yeah. Um it didn't occur to me I'd have to answer my question Ooh. when I came up with it. Um You know, there's been a couple of times at uh, the camp that I've helped run the last few years that I've done, been going to for forever where um, right place at the right time, conversation with a kid that's Mm -hmm. going through something and just that being able to be there when someone just needs to be heard. Yeah, and to be
1: able to relate to them in a very specialized way you know that that campus is mm-hmm. a specific thing. That you have yeah. an ability to to be there for somebody in a way that I think probably stuns people that you can share that experience.
0: Yeah, and and so much of that comes from being able to not react mm-hmm. or not um, hear the horrible things that some people have gone through or whatnot, and um, and have to map your mind around it. Right. To be able to just actually sit there and be there for someone yeah. so that they can go through what they need to go through. It's probably would be my proudest not big moment is just any time I can just sit and hold space for someone while yeah. they're they're processing but You're especially with those it. kids But I
1: also um, anytime my mom comes in the store I just get so proud I missed her the other day was in the bathroom
0: and she came in I just
1: get so proud I'm so proud of this store and everything that all of us have done here and then to get to have my mom see that and see yeah. these people that I and like the customers that come here, they're all people I care deeply about and that care about us as well. And to get to be like, hey, mom, look at what you did. And and, and now what that's done is it's pretty cool. I feel very You've blessed.
0: Created a safe haven community for so many people. And it. I don't know if all of you out there realize just how much of everything that is warm and safe and welcoming in the shop has been nurtured and spearheaded and birthed uh, and even by Jeffrey. Um, you, you make are a lot of people happy wonderful. in ways that they don't even realize are well, happening.
1: Thank you very, very, very much, Colette. You mean the world to me, so thank you. No. So Tom King, Jorge Fornes, and Mike Norton... And Cameron Stewart, no, sorry, Dave Stewart, put out this Batman annual number four. And Mm. annuals are traditionally a thing that I am skeptical of or kind of shy away from. But Tom King has utilized the piss out of every annual that he has written for this Batman run. So I was very excited about this. And then Jorge Fornes, one of my current favorite working artists.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: What did you think about this? People have heard me talk Batman to death.
0: Dog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. One of the uh, the handful. I'm pretty sure there's like five or less comics that I've ever given a ten to, and the Batman Annual Annual Number Two yeah. was one of them, and this one is. <laughs> damn good. It yeah. didn't make me cry the way that that one did. I was a blubbering baby when I read that. <laughs> but uh, like literally woke Jared up next to me cuz I was sobbing. Help me process <laughs> this. But uh, man, this was good. It's so and this, good. And I I guess I want to get this out of the way to start with before we really get into the meat of this issue. This reading this made me even more sad that King is leaving Batman because yeah. I felt like every, so this is a whole bunch of little this is day by day Batman for a month or a little over yeah, a month yeah. it's Alfred's diary chronicling what issue who who Batman was fighting that day what was going on every single little story I would have read a five page arc right about Everything in this was just so different and compelling, and it just made me so grateful that we've had Tom King writing this run, and so sad that it's coming to a close. Uh, and I think I loved it.
1: <laughs> that this issue is also a really—I want to use the word like—sort of healthy or just positive analysis of what the best parts of Batman are. It's sort of like you know the origin of Batman, but you can kind of give this book to somebody and it shows them why Batman is a character that's worth
0: respecting. And it's the heart and the nobleness of Batman. Yeah, and it, the, it, you're the, not the dealing with the with the um the the fallout of b- having to be this dedicated that right. you're having to do all of these different things every single day it reminded me of watching Batman the animated series mm-hmm. that that I want this Batman to be my dad <laughs> like that noble admirable it's sometimes it's nice to have a hero that we don't also have to look at their their pains and their flaws yeah. and and the broken side that inevitably has to be there when you sacrifice everything about yourself to be uh, there for everyone else that you know and don't know.
1: What I I liked is that the first four pages are a story about a day, and then the next four pages are a story about a day, and then the next four pages are that. But then after that, each story takes like one less page or then Mm -hmm. one less panel so that the final like six pages or five pages are just... I heard that Tom King just said, Jorge as you just make up all of these days because you get each panel as a day and it's oh. something like him fighting a version of himself or there's one where he's just holding a football and running across a field or f- hanging out of a helicopter or jousting or hanging out with a big mech from an anime.
0: Like, mm-hmm. I love the all black the, and white the zebra like zebra one. stripe where yeah. he's camouflaged into the wall. Because
1: it... In there, or him carrying the dog, like Uh it leans into the silver ageness of Batman, or just that sometimes he's saving the world, also, sometimes he's saving a dog, and Mm -hmm. like he's just out there doing good every day, unrelentingly. And when you can look at it just that way, it's really special.
0: It it got to embrace some of those campier things mm -hmm. that relate back to Batman history, too, or that we don't always writers aren't always allowed to play with in the darker more realistic Batman story that is expected now him running so with you, a
1: football is run. kind of funny yeah. and you wouldn't see it in some serious or dragons books. attacking
0: yeah. gotham so yeah. he's dealing with dragon it was really fun to see some of those kind of stories that i'm sure anyone writing batman really would love to get to have the opportunity to write but right. it just doesn't really fit into the the, the narrative that's been created for modern Batman recently. I'm just, you just
1: echoing exactly what you said. Like, I am so bummed that he's not going to be on this book because I think his analysis of what makes Batman great and what are his weaknesses, like it's a way more cerebral, psychological introspective take on Batman And I I could I understand wholeheartedly why many people are just not interested in this run at all. Mm -hmm. But to me, it is, you know, it's tied with Grant Morrison is my favorite Batman run of all time. And this four page sequence of him flashing back to prom night.
0: Oh, it's the best. it's like
1: the most heartbreaking. But, you know, it, it flashes between these two moments where this girl that he went to prom with that he said he had to leave after prom and he bailed on her. Like, he meets up with her again after she's committed a crime, and it's just them revisiting the same place that they were at, and kind of just doing what Colette was just talking about being proud of, of just sort of, in this situation, Batman wasn't being Batman, he was being Bruce Wayne, and he was there for somebody who, through circumstances, had become broken, and he offered forgiveness, which I think is a thing that in this sort of cancel culture of our society, we're kind of beating forgiveness Mm -hmm. out of people. And I think it's the most important thing we can do. And he just supports and forgives this person and helps them. It's just like also taps into that, like revisiting your high school love. Like, what you know, I live with the shadow of my high school relationship every day. So it was so amazing to sort of see that.
0: Yeah, I... I did not have that kind of high school experience. Yeah. I had no high school love. I High school was very painful in other ways for me. <laughs> we would have
1: um, been buddies, though.
0: Yeah, we would have. <laughs> um, yeah, I I also just, the beginning of this little four-page story, just this one page at the prom, and uh, and it's... Uh, Alfred talking about you know his first tuxedo, his first cologne, his first kiss. Mm-hmm. Days later, he would leave for the east. Bruce Wayne would never love again. Oh. For after that, truly, sadly, there was no Bruce Wayne. To see that this is how that moment is is quantified—the last moment, Bruce was Bruce, it, and that's before he became everything he's. It, a it's uniquely Tom
1: King thing, mm-hmm. you know, like he he has a, a a viewpoint of Batman that incorporates his humanity in a way that many people sort of say Bruce Wayne is the disguise, and I always say like that to me can't exist. Mm-hmm. Like he's he was originally the little boy, um, so Bruce Wayne's always in there somewhere, even though he's kind of dead in some regard. But just he always comes back to the humanity of it's still a person in that cowl.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think in ways that other writers haven't managed to he manages to play with the the push down the breaking the death of that that core humanity for the greater good of being batman in a way that makes you hurt for him yeah like our there was stuff that i really liked about snyder's new 52 run but i didn't like batman i didn't I didn't care for him. He's I, not likable. He's a he, force no, of will. Yeah, and um, and this makes this run makes you understand why everybody who rallies around Bruce, even when he's gone too far, even when he's hurting them, mm-hmm. because he thinks he's right, because he's the epitome of the patriarchy. Yeah, uh, why you would still keep following him why that heart is there and
1: this sequence of there's a guy who's the strongest UFC fighter in the world and he's beaten everybody and he's undefeatable but he keeps challenging Batman and of course Batman never acknowledges it but then he gets he beat up a, his girlfriend or something and then he you know they weren't able to press charges on him and uh and he just sort of like yeah well I can't be beaten I'm untouchable and then that's when and yeah Batman will agree to fight him and he just beats the shit out of him and so all of the proceeds go to great. charity. It's just that like, that yeah. Ugh, you know, the fact that Tom King conjured all of these things and there's so many moments in this issue. And then we still haven't talked about Jorge Fornes who <sighs> is just, you know, the the Mazzuchelli of our current climate of comic books and it's, there's so much swagger and style and shadow and a classic feel. Mm-hmm. Like it's, he's, you know, my favorite Batman artist working currently.
0: It, it's so it's that wonderful blend of of stylized but not dis- disruptive to your reading process yeah. it's not uh, like
1: i love tradmore and silver surfer black mm-hmm. but you you're kind of that art is a spectacle the uh-huh. whole time, which is amazing.
0: For certain characters and certain stories, it's perfect. Yeah, but it doesn't work for Batman. Yeah,
1: like the you know this is the antithesis of Tradmore, and it's just as good, but it's just doing a totally different thing. And even the Mike Norton art in the back was was pretty good. He did mm-hmm. about seven pages.
0: Yeah, and some of it, like I don't know, the the choices for some of the facial expressions, like I always really appreciate when someone will give you can tell that an author was just told put you know put tim and bruce in a panel together and this moment where uh, you've got just kind of like a oh I'm a teenager and I don't <laughs> want to be hugged but really I'm liking this By my and dad. it was yeah it so many moments in this book are just absolutely beautiful
1: it's it's another um another total triumph for the Tom King Batman run. And mm-hmm. just like Colette said, it's an absolute tragedy that we're going to be living in a world without uh, Tom King's Batman. Um, but we will get the, the follow-up mm-hmm. yeah. series of Catwoman and Batman, <sighs> <Yeah. laughs> and that'll be very good. And they recently just said that Clayman's going to do all of the art in that series, so it's actually mm. been delayed a little bit, but Clayman did all the Heroes in Crisis art, and we talked a lot about how much we love him. Yeah, so. yeah,
0: as long as it's not... No, I'm not gonna go into my rant about <laughs> the butts. <laughs> about
1: JRJ J.R. and how oh, much I fucking hate him. I hate him. I'm always like, man, I sure lambast that guy. But... <laughs> so I would give this issue another like another nine, nine point five. It's just a nearly perfect issue. I bet if it was all Jorge Fonseca's art, it would m- maybe mm-hmm. be there. But it's just, it's a, it's a great, kind of everything that's great about Batman dialed into a single issue.
0: Yeah, I. Uh... I almost cried, but I didn't cry. <laughs> so that's going to take the the 0.5, 0.5 sure. points away from being a 10. and I'm going to give it a nine and a half. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, I'm with you. Um, yeah. Well, I guess that does it. I'm going to. Oh, man. Look at all those
0: books we got through. we
1: got through them. We (laughs) rule. Um, Thank you so much for the wonderful treats and for celebrating my birthday with me, Colette. Thanks for
0: being born and being in this world because you make it a
1: better place. Thank you. Likewise, likewise you do as well. We've got such a wonderful blend of people here at this store. Gosh, I think that's everything. We did the cleanup. We can just kind of get out of here now.
0: Okay, yeah, look at that. Oh, I do need to specify earlier. There is breast milk on the carpet because I pump in this room. Yes. I haven't been doing anything untoward in here. <laughs> Un- untoward. It's a uh, totally uh,
1: more savory version of the pumping that Django and I do in here. Um, <laughs> but, alright everybody, that was episode 154. Thank you so much for listening. Thank Clutz yeah. so much for always being here and being Thanks the wonderful person that you are. Thanks for having me.
0: I love doing this. Any excuse to get to spend time with you guys and talk about comics is it. the best.
1: I love it. So we'll see everybody next week for 155. We'll have two Dawn of X books that week Whoa. see you next week
0: Whoa. wonderful job job oh,